0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and today and next Sunday we're going to be looking at three parables that Jesus tells back to back to back. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the first two. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. These are twin parables. That's when Jesus will tell a story, and then to drive home the point of the story, he'll tell another that is very similar. We're talking about lost and found. Luke chapter 15, and let's look this morning at verses 1 through 10. If you're new today, we've been looking at the ministry of Christ with the background of texts in the four Gospels that in some way take place in the setting of a meal, or in this case, Jesus is being criticized for sharing meals with certain people that we'll talk about as we go on. Luke chapter 15, and let's look at verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Father, we pray that our joys would be your joys. That the things that cause rejoicing in heaven would be the things that bring joy to our hearts. That the activities of heaven would be our activities. The things that grieve you, we pray, Father, that they would... Grieve us as well. When we look at these parables, we really see your heart, Father. And we pray that you would give us your heart. And give us eyes to see people the way that you see them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Phil Bianchi tells about um, a counselor, a friend of his in Chicago. And uh, the the man had been counseling this, this woman, and, and she... She be- began to unfold to him the story of her life. And it was just a sordid story of, of, of drug addiction and uh, prostitution and neglect of her own children. And, and as she, she was unfolding this, this sad tale, the counselor stopped her at one point and he And he asked her, he said, you know, when you were going through all of this, did you ever consider going to church? And he said, at that point, a look of just pure, naive shock came across this woman's face, and she said, church, why would I ever go there? They, they would only make me feel worse. You know, Ever since I heard that, that comment, it, it haunted me as a pastor, because people like that woman were the very kinds of people who were flocking to Jesus. What does uh, Luke uh, tell us here in in verse 1? He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And and by the use of the word all here, I mean, Luke wants to emphasize, Jesus was really popular with these people. What people? With tax collectors. I mean, these were people who were... um, Hated, not only because they collected taxes, but because of who they collected them for. These were Jews that were collecting taxes for the occupying power, for for Rome. And so they were absolutely rejected. They were known for ripping people off, you know, kind of white-collar criminals. And so they were despised. Sinners here would refer to sort of immoral, irreligious people, the dregs of of society, and yet we, we see these people who were so uh, marginalized, so looked down upon, were, they were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Just like the, the prostitute that we looked at in Luke 7 a few weeks ago, uh, who came in and, uh, and, and anointed Jesus and, and wiped her tears from his feet with her hair. Why were tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus. Was it because Jesus sort of preached a feel-good message and you know, sort of patted them on the back and said, you know, you're okay in your sin. You know, don't bother changing your sinful lifestyle. No. Jesus preached repentance. But his message of repentance was mingled with hope. And Jesus loved these people. And he spent time with these people. He showed his love for them by sharing meals with them. They knew that he loved them. And therefore they, they wanted to hear what he had to say, even if it was a message of repentance. Daryl Bach, who's probably the foremost scholar on the Gospel of Luke in the world, summarizes the, the ministry and the message of Jesus in, in Luke this way. He says, in a culture where tax collectors were hated... And sinners were mocked. Jesus gives a word that encourages. The rejected to come to him. The way to God. Is through repentance. God's arms are open to the person. Who will seek him on his terms. God's arms close. Around the child. Ready to run to him. And receive what he offers. So the way. To God. Is repentance. And the way of God is that he reaches out in love to sinners. We, we see in, in, in verse 2 that the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and scribes, grumbled against Jesus saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And the, the Greek word here that's translated as receives it, it means that Jesus had goodwill toward these, these sinners. Um, he, uh, he, uh, he, he showed his goodwill toward them by sharing time with them, by sharing meals with them, and especially in the first century, by sharing a meal with someone, that implied ex- acceptance of them. And not acceptance of their sinful lifestyle, whatever it was, but acceptance of them love for them jesus loved these people he, he loved them with no strings attached and because of that they were they were flocking to uh, to to hear him now this is something that we need to camp out on for a moment because you know i, I think that you know, if, if you were asked, I think if, if, if most Bible believing Christians like us were asked, you know, what, what do immoral, irreligious people think of us? A lot of us would have to say, I don't think they like us very much. Well, guess what? Most of them think we don't like them very much. And that's a problem, that's a perception. That has to change. So how does that perception change? How do, how do we change the perception that a lot of lost people have that we don't love them? We change their perception that we don't love them by loving them, <laughs> by spending time with them, um, by doing things like sharing meals with them. Because we can love people. And we can accept them. It doesn't imply acceptance of their lifestyle. We can can love them and spend time with them without being influenced in the wrong ways by them. Jesus did it all the time. Now, if you do that, if you have that that kind of a missional evangelistic lifestyle, you will be criticized. Uh, You will be criticized by some Christians, by some religious people. Um, who may not understand exactly what you're doing, and Jesus was hammered by religious people. Um, It says the Pharisees and scribes grumbled against Jesus. Now, the three parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15 are responses to the grumbling of the religious leaders. Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep the lost coin, and next Sunday we're going to look at the lost son, better known as the prodigal son. Jesus tells all three of these parables in response to the grumbling of the religious leaders that this man receives sinners and eats with them. Let's look, first of all, at the parable of the lost sheep, verses 3 through 6. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. So, in the first century, and even today, shepherds in the Middle East will end the day by counting their sheep because sheep are prone to wander. They're not very intelligent; uh, they will stray. And so, in on this particular day, this shepherd counts his sheep. There are a hundred of them, and one comes up missing. So, what is this? Caring, conscientious shepherd do. He leaves the ninety-nine to go in search of the one. By the way, they wouldn't have left the ninety-nine defenseless. There would have been other shepherds to take care of them. Uh, but he leaves and he he searches passionately until he finds this lost sheep. And when he finds it, he happily picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and he brings it back, and then he says, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says, Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. Because I found the sheep that was lost. Um, now, Jesus kind of ties it together here in verse 7. And he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And you can better believe that Jesus says those last few words with his tongue planted firmly in cheek and with a smile on his face because the truth of the matter is that there, there, there is no one who doesn't need to repent. When he talks about 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, actually... There's not a human being that, that doesn't need repentance. But see, what he's talking about is that the Pharisees and scribes didn't think they needed to repent. And therefore, they were more lost than anybody. Because it's one thing to be lost and understand that you're lost. But if you're lost and you don't understand that you're lost, friend, you're lost. You're out there driving around and you realize you're lost. You'll ask for help. But if you don't understand that you're lost. I mean you're just continuing to plunge into utter lostness. Which is why people that are religious but lost are the most lost people of all. Because they're oblivious to their lostness. So. He tells the story of a lost sheep. And then he drives the point home by telling a second parable. This one about a lost coin. Verses 8 and 9. Or What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Now Jesus switches the imagery... From outside to inside, uh, from the, uh, the shepherd's field to inside, a poor little home. And most people were poor in that culture. And this woman has ten silver coins. And the type of coin that he's talking about would have been worth about a day's wages, So we're not talking about a great amount of money, but it was a great amount of money to her because she was poor. And it probably had sentimental value as well because the ten silver coins were probably her wedding dowry. And so when she realizes that one of these silver coins is missing, I mean her anxiety level rises, her heart begins to beat faster, adrenaline is, is, is pumping because uh, she's, uh, she's, she's, she's determined, she's frantic to be able to find something that was precious to her that has gone missing. So, in a little home like this in the first century, there would have been one window at the most, might not have been any windows, and so it's dark inside, she lights uh, an oil lamp and she's, uh, she bends down, she's probably sweeping back straw. On the floor. There would have been cracks in the floor as well. In fact, the way that archaeologists date homes in the Middle East is that uh, they'll date the, uh, the coins that fall down in the cracks on the, the floor. And so there would have been cracks on the floor. She's going through straw. She's trying to find a coin um, in this crack. And then ah, she puts her finger on it. Relief, joy. And what does she do? She does the same thing as a shepherd. When he finds a lost sheep, she throws a party. She calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Let's celebrate. Because I found something that was precious to me that was lost. Now, let's kind of, let's kind of bring this uh, together. So to sort of go to the app store and let's talk about how, how do these parables apply to our lives. Well, the key to that is found in verses 7. And 10. So let's look back at both of those verses. Verse 7. Jesus says, so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now look at verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In both of these summary statements, Jesus is talking about the emotions of heaven, the priority of heaven. He's talking about what it is, what is it that that causes God and the angels of heaven to rejoice. And the message here is that that needs to cause us to rejoice. Our joys need to be heaven's joys, God's joys. Our priorities need to be heaven's priorities. Our activities should be heaven's activities. Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus tells us here what causes a celebration in heaven. And he says that our heart is to be plugged into the heart of God. So let's talk about it. What do, we, what do we see here in terms of application? First of all, we are to join with God in searching for the lost. Now, how did religious people of Jesus' day, like the scribes and Pharisees, how did they regard the lost? Okay, the the immoral, the irreligious, you know, the sinners, people like tax collectors. How did religious people uh, approach them, think about them? Well, there were basically two camps. Uh, One camp would be so hardened against them that they would just write those people off as just totally hopeless. I mean, they just uh, wanted nothing to do with uh, them. The more moderate camp... Their stance was, well, you know what? If you get your act together, you know, if you clean up, then, well, you know, you can come back to the synagogue and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take you in then. What nobody was doing, nobody except Jesus, was reaching out to these people, searching for these people, seeking these people But Jesus does that very thing. Why? Because Jesus is that caring shepherd who goes after the one who is lost. Now we see that image of Jesus as a shepherd in another key point in the Gospels. And it's in the Gospel of John in chapter 10. Jesus says there, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Now, this image of of the shepherd, the caring shepherd, is an image that is found not only in the Gospels, but it's rooted deeply in the Old Testament. Of course, the probably the most famous passage in the Old Testament is the 23rd Psalm, which begins with the words, The Lord is my shepherd. But I think on this day, as Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, I think there's another Old Testament passage, really, that was at the forefront of his mind. And it's one that you're probably not as familiar with but we're going to look at it right now, and that's from Ezekiel 34. Let's look at it together. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. Now look at verse 4. And look at this in light of what's happening in Luke 15. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. God is indicting the religious leaders of Ezekiel's day because they weren't doing the things that caring shepherds do. They were not strengthening the weak. They were not healing the sick. They were not binding up the injured. They were not bringing back the strays. They were not seeking the lost. This is what's happening in Luke 15. You see, Jesus is indicting the religious leaders of his own day. Because the scribes and Pharisees were supposed to be what? Shepherds. Shepherds. But not only do they not love broken, hurting, lost people... They're furious at Jesus for loving them. Jesus loves the broken, the lost. And he proves his love by searching for them, seeking after them. When you come to Luke 19, you see uh, Jesus passing through city one day And he looks up, and up in a tree is a tax collector, notorious tax collector, chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, calls him by name, says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. You and I are going to hang out today. And he did that kind of thing all the time. Aren't you glad that he did it in your life? Aren't you glad... That Jesus sought you, searched for you, even when you weren't searching for him, even when you weren't seeking him, even when you were running from him. Francis Thompson was an English poet who died in his 40s, um, spent a good chunk. ...of his adult life living on the streets as an opium addict. This is late 19th century. But in his most famous poem, which is called The Hound of Heaven... ...Francis Thompson tells about God's um, loving, relentless pursuit of him... ...when he was fleeing from God. And Francis Thompson wrote in The Hound of Heaven... ...I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down labyrinthian ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. Jesus searched for us, even when we were running from him, didn't he? He searched for us until he found us and he put us, on his shoulders, and he carried us. This is a, a picture of the, the first Christian statue that we know of. It's from the 3rd century. It's in the Lateran Museum in Rome. And it's believed to have come from the catacombs of Rome, where early Christians worshipped the image of the shepherd. Bringing back the lost sheep, that this was an image that was precious to the early Christians. Why? They knew what it was like to be lost, they knew what it was like to be found, and they knew what it was like to be carried. You know, our good shepherd began to carry us when he carried our sins in his own body. On the cross. And the prophet Isaiah. Looking forward. Hundreds of years in the future. To the cross. How did Isaiah. In Isaiah 53. How did he capture the cross. And what Jesus did. And the way that Jesus carried. Our sins on the cross. It says in Isaiah 53. Six, All we like sheep. Have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So our our good shepherd begins to carry us when he carries our sins in his own body to the cross. And Isaiah looks forward to that. Peter looks back to that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you We're straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Is that your story? Has that happened to you? Have you been found? Well, you know what? If you have been, then know this. There's a calling upon your life. If you're blown away by God's grace in rescuing you, then join with him in searching for others. Because found people find people. Found people find people. We join with God in searching for the lost. Second. We are to join with God in rejoicing when the lost are found. Sheldon Van Auken says this, The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the greatest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they're somber and joyless, when they're self-righteous and smug, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. And you know, one of the deepest sources of Christian joy is when we join with God in in, in rejoicing in the redemption of people. That's why it's so appropriate, as we did earlier, when we celebrate the ordinance of baptism to applaud, to celebrate, because this is what it's all about. We, We join with God, we join with the angels in heaven in doing that. Let's talk specifically about two ways that we join with God in rejoicing when the lost are found. Two ways that we celebrate. First of all, celebrate together. Celebrate together. In, in both parables, there's a corporate celebration that takes place, right? Because the shepherd... Doesn't keep his joy when he finds the lost sheep to himself. What does he do? He calls together others. His friends and neighbors and says, let's party. Let's celebrate together. The woman, when she finds the lost coin, same thing. She doesn't keep that to herself. What does she do? She calls her neighbors, calls her friends and says, let's join in. Let's party. Let's celebrate together. There's this corporate joy. Now, friends, does that not tell us what the church of Jesus Christ should be like, should the church not pulsate with gospel joy I mean we 're to be a community of people for, that are rejoicing that we 've been found and rejoicing that others are being found it's to be a, a place of corporate joy, and then celebrate when just one is found in in both Parables at at the end, what does Jesus say? What does he say at the end of the parable of the lost sheep in verse 7? says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then in verse 10, at the end of the parable of the lost coin, Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, we're infatuated as Americans with bigness. And that bleeds over into the church sometimes. Because, you know, in American churches, we tend to celebrate big. Bigness, right? Uh, big numbers, you know, big church, on and on. We, you know, we, that's the kind of thing that we, we tend to celebrate. The Bible says God celebrates one. One. Heaven celebrates one Aren't you glad that you're not a number to God? Because God cares about you so much as an individual that he says not only are you not a number, he says even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's how much I care about you as an individual. So what does that say to us as a church, about how we do church, it says that you know, our, our priority is not numbers, it's ministry to people. And ministry to people begins with ministry to persons, individual persons. In his book, The Enormous Exception, Earl Palmer tells about um, a friend who became a Christian in college after a pretty lengthy period of doubt and questioning And, and this guy was a pre-med student at Cal Berkeley And um, lots of questions about Christianity and so forth But uh, that, that semester in college He was struck with the flu And missed 10 crucial days Of an organic chemistry class um, And it was kind of a really a desperate situation but one of his classmates, who happened to be a Christian, uh, just took it on his own to scrupulously collect all the assignments, all the notes from classes, and just single handedly was able to, to keep this guy afloat academically. And looking back on it, this, this guy, who's now a Christian, said. Nobody did that kind of thing. I mean it just wasn't it just it just wasn 't done, and i wouldn 't have done it, but he did it and I wanted to know what 's driving this what 's causing him to act the way that he acts and I found myself asking him if I could go to church with him and, and looking looking back. On that, Earl Palmer says this this guy gave the, that his, that Christian the highest compliment that he's ever heard someone give to a believer and it was this. He said, I felt more alive when I was around this friend. I felt more alive when I was around this friend. Let's pray. Father, as those who who serve a living Savior, a Savior who is alive, we pray that you would help us to be conduits of life to those who are broken, those who are estranged and far from you. We pray that your life would flow through us as the good news of the gospel is shared, as love flows toward those who are hurting and broken and lost and we're we're surrounded really by people like that even if some of them are better at concealing it than others we pray that you would give us your heart to uh, to reach out to care to seek and to celebrate when the lost are found we pray it in Jesus name amen if you're here today and God's speaking to you you want to talk to someone about what it means to have a relationship with him, we're going to be here for you uh, during the invitation or afterwards. If you're here and you want to talk to somebody about being a part of our church, uh, again, we're here for you. If you're here in need of prayer, uh, don't leave without having the opportunity to pray with someone. Let's stand together as we sing. God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin My email is pastor at fbcsupport.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.